0: This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth, and I'm joined this week by Kayla Rubel, reporter for the Detroit News. Welcome, Kayla. Hi, Shayna. How are you? Kayla, it's so great to have you here because you have an amazing new piece out called How Stun Gun Use at Michigan Baby Formula Plant Led to a Nationwide Recall. In case you missed it, that is a piece delving into what happened at the Abbott Baby Formula Plant in Sturgis, Michigan. And your reporting involved reading more than 650 pages of Michigan Occupational Safety and Health Administration documents, Uh, which is an incredible lift, and in it you painted a picture of the almost year-long mission by an Abbott whistleblower to warn government agencies about problems at the facility, including various safety violations. You wrote, quote, Abbott Nutrition's plant had lax cleaning procedures, untested baby formula was sent to store shelves after the discovery of harmful microorganisms, and a bottle labeling machine in the factory frequently failed causing some products to become untraceable in the event of a recall, according to the fired employee's complaint sent to the FDA. And that is just one part of some of the various complaints that were alleged against the facility. So given the serious nature of of this, we're talking about formula going into infants and children. Why did it take so long for state or federal authorities to step in here?
1: Yeah, I think that's sort of one of the big questions of this story. I think every story like this sort of has the, like, who knew what, when, and, you know, when did people choose to act or not act, and, you know, who was alerted to what. And I think in this case, I think that's like a, you know, one of the really big questions is, could some of these government agencies have acted differently? Should they have, you know, did they have enough information to understand, you know, what was going on at this plant um, before, you know, babies got potentially sickened by by this formula. And I think we don't really have an answer to that. I think the FDA, you know, was sent some of these product safety documents directly. Um, and I don't know that there has been um, sort of proper accounting for that. And I think that's something we're definitely still looking into.
0: In the spring, there was a nationwide baby formula shortage. And the Abbott plant is just one plant, but you said that it contributed to that shortage. Can you explain how?
1: Yeah, so the baby formula market is super concentrated. Um, There's only a few companies that produce baby formula. And most baby formula, um, or close to most baby formula, is sold through Women, Infants, and Children, um, sort of a program for... Uh, low-income mothers and children in um, states across the U.S. um, where women can buy um, and families or whoever can buy sort of discounted formula. And Abbott is one of the biggest contractors for that. And most of that product is made by Abbott. And a lot of it is made at the Sturgis facility, especially specialty formulas. It's specifically a plant for it. So if you have allergies to certain things and there are certain formulas that you need, that's one of the places where the shortage started was in the specialty formulas. And then I think in the spring, you sort of saw the panic buying of, oh my gosh, all formulas on a shortage, but really it was the specialty formula and then the formula that was provided for the Women, Infants, and Children program where the big issue was.
0: Let's shift gears and talk about huge news coming out of the Michigan Supreme Court this week. In a 5-2 ruling, the opinion authored by Republican-nominated Justice Elizabeth Clement, the court said that sexual orientation is protected under the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act. Elliot Larson is the state's anti-discrimination law. This is a huge win for the LGBTQ community and honestly for the state of Michigan. Being a welcoming and inclusive state has shown to have a positive impact on businesses, on tourism, and on keeping people living and working within the state. Uh, Kayla, what has been the reaction that you've seen to this? Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you bring that up because I think about this a lot as someone, you know, I grew up in Michigan,
1: um, but pretty much right after high school, moved away. I've been living in New York for, you know, the better part of the last like 10 to 15 years. Um, and so I hear a lot of conversations, I think outside of places like Michigan um, about, you know, whether people want to travel or move um, to certain states or, or whatnot. And I feel like I hear the, you know, I think when there was like the COVID outbreak, uh, there was, you know, people, I saw stories about, oh, our lockdowns, like making people move out of states like Michigan. And I think that's a fair question to ask. I feel like I don't see that question asked enough about, you know, something like LGBTQ rights or, you know, lax gun laws, like that sort of thing. So I think it's an important question. And, you know, I, um, I haven't really talked to people specifically about this act or, you know, in the last couple of days, but it's definitely something that I hear people, whether it's reporting or socially, you know, talk about outside of Michigan and, and these conversations. And I think that's playing out a lot right now with a lot of these horrible ones.
0: The primary in Michigan is days away, and after all the chaos and antics of the 2020 election, poll workers and city clerks are feeling the pressure to have this election go as smoothly as possible. Kayla, you had another piece this week because you are an incredibly busy human. Uh, this piece was about Detroit beefing up its security for absentee ballot counting for Tuesday's primary. So talk us through what's going on there.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, yesterday the city clerk in Detroit, you know, sort of announced, kind of just talked us through where they were going with the primary and some things that they expect to happen and, and discussed, you know, these security measures that they're going to implement, um, you know, metal detectors. Uh, sign-ins. It's going to be much more formal. You know, that stems from everything we've been hearing over the last two years with election workers being under threat. And I mean, we literally saw that in the city of Detroit um, with the way protesters um, and, you know, Trump supporters kind of stormed uh, the TCF center and created that situation there. Um, And it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I love going to ballot counts. I always have, even if I'm not reporting that day. Um, It's such a cool part of the democratic process to see. And usually it's really lax, like you just kind of slip in a back door and like everyone, you know, the election workers are hanging out together and just getting their work done late into the night. And so it will be really interesting to see it on such a, such a different playing field where, you know, everything's kind of locked down and secure and, you know, but I think, yeah, I think it's, that's what people have realized is the stakes are really high for these procedural aspects of the election because of, you know, all the challenges from 2020. And, And so they're taking it, you know, a little differently than before.
0: Given that primaries tend to have a reduced voter turnout than, say, a general election, we have a midterm in November. Are they viewing this as sort of more of like a trial run to figure out what's going to work before the November midterm? Yeah.
1: So specifically, you know, the city of Detroit um, officials yesterday said that, that, you know, While they wish that turnout was higher in a primary, of course, one of the sort of silver linings of that is that they get to really make sure that they're following all the processes because there aren't as many ballots to count. So there's a little more time. There's a little less pressure. Um, And so I do think the city of Detroit is looking at this as one more, you know, exercise just to make sure they're getting this right. You know, I think in 2021, the city of Detroit had, um, you know, performed pretty well in terms of, you know, how they were able to count the ballots. Um, And I think they're hoping to do that again. And I think this, um, you know, gives them the opportunity to practice that. I do, do think at the same time, they're going to be dealing with, you know, we understand that there are an increased number of Republican pool challengers, um, and there's been some reporting on what that might look like. So that might in some ways make more work for the election workers during this primary, but it also might give them a chance to you know, I think broker some conversations and help, you know, and work with these Republican poll challengers in a way that, um, you know, doesn't result in what we saw in 2020, sort of that confusion and conspiracy, you know, panic.
0: How confident are they that this is going to work? I mean, obviously, they're, they're doing everything they can, but there's really only so much they can do until the day of. So I guess what's, what's, the, what's the confidence feeling going into into the primary? I think, yeah, there's only
1: so much that you can do. I think when I've talked to voting rights experts and people who work in that space, I think they're very confident that, you know, people are going to be able to vote and vote safely um and and that you know a lot has been done to make sure that these processes really like roll out correctly um and so i think in that space i think there's confidence um i think when it comes to whether there will be people sort of just trying to disrupt the process or making things difficult i think that's just it's an unknown it might happen it might not it's hard to prepare for because you don't know how how people are going to respond to things Um, but, you know, look, I think with, oh, there's a lot of confidence in the laws. Michigan's election laws are very, they're very straightforward. Um, they're very, there's not a lot of wiggle room. You know, you, there's not a lot of room to like have just your own discretion as an election worker. So I think people are feeling very confident that those laws will um, sort of speak for themselves and will ensure that things eventually, you know, go smoothly or, you know, are, are sorted out.
0: And finally, you've been following the Flint water crisis trial that's going on. The jury is still out deliberating. What is the trial about and what's the latest in that?
1: Yeah, so the current, um, you know, case in court for the Flint water crisis uh, revolves around a civil lawsuit against uh, two engineering companies who were contracted by the city of Flint at various points before and during the water crisis. And they're being sued for their rules, you know, with the, these four Flint children who are the plaintiffs, sort of alleging that these, you know, these companies, um, you know, acted negligently and, you know, did not properly warn the city of Flint about lead problems um, and, and the problems that lead could cause. And so it's the first trial to make it to, it's the first case to make it to a jury trial in, uh, you know, since 2014, since the water crisis started, so it's a big deal. Um, And I think it's, you know, an important one for the city of Flint. It's a precedence kind of setting trial. Um, And they've been deliberating for about a week and just went... You know, they didn't reach a verdict yesterday and we were told they will be back on August 9th. So they'll be back in um you know a little over a week, which I think that is I you know, I'm intrigued about that. I think this is a pretty so I have strong opinions in this case. And so it's interesting to me that the jury is still conflicted and hasn't um, hasn't reached a decision yet. So I don't know what we will see um out of that. But I think I think it's something the city of Hunt is watching. They've been they've had some blows with the legal system in the last couple of months. So I think this will will be an important one depending on how it shakes out.
0: Kayla Rubel is a reporter for the Detroit News. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Mishmash. Thank you so much for having me.